Blog Talk Radio. There's something outside. What is that? blog on it, and I went ahead and um, reposted his blog 
on this last Friday and sent it out. Um, but if you haven't seen it yet and you want to do that now, go to www.chronosrising, that's K-R-O-N-O-S, rising.com, and look for the blog that says Killer Whale Survives an Attack from a Living Mosasaur. Um, that way you can be in tune to what we're talking about, and the video actually is there for you to look at. Um, what What made you realize that you were seeing something unusual in the video? Uh, I mean, once you know what you're looking at, it's obvious and startling, but did you realize right away that it was something unusual, Max? Uh, initially, when I was looking at it, you, know, you see this orca swimming slowly by. It rises up takes a breath, comes back down, and then gradually fades into the distance. Um, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that, that whale's really been beat up by something. You know? And you see the, the bites, and you see uh, half of one flipper, the right pectoral flipper, is actually gone. It's been bitten off. You can even see the teeth marks. And when I looked at it, uh, my initial thought, my reflex, you know, knee-jerk reaction was, okay, well, this must have been, like, aggression from other orcas. I mean, it does happen from time to time, especially in captivity. They bite and rake each other with their teeth and things like that. But as I started studying the actual shapes of the wounds, you can actually see, especially in the dorsal section, there's um, an actual outline bite there. Uh, I started realizing that it wasn't from an orca at all, and something very odd was going on. Mm -hmm. So your first deduction was... Uh it wasn't an, an orca, orca at all, and you did a, an analysis of the video showing aspects of what you believe is going on, you know, with the creature. And now, did you jump into it right away, and were you worried about negative reaction because of the you know, fantastic nature of what seems to be in in the content of that video? Um, did you get opinions from others first, or? Well, the, I mean, the first thing you do in a situation like this is, as you know, you're a field researcher, is you, you really want to study what you're looking at. You want to make comparative analyses, and uh, as we've all learned from trial and error, you don't want to just jump the gun. I mean, when you're right. making, you know, as the saying goes, fantastic claims require fantastic proof. So mm -hmm. the first thing I wanted to do, and I felt a little risky doing this because I, you don't want somebody else to you know, beat you to the punch, so to speak. But I shared uh, their original video on an assortment of social media groups on Facebook, to be exact, um, different places with tens of thousands of people able to see it, including one group which has a huge number of people, including a heavy population of biologists, marine biologists, paleontologists, geologists. I mean, there's hundreds and even thousands of scientists that are involved with this particular group. And I got numerous opinions from people on that group. Some people thought that it was a, uh, you know, a fishing net. Some people said it was a boat prop or a ship's propeller, you know, the traditional shark bite. Uh, a few people even claiming it was a megalodon. Naturally, there were people that said orcas, long liners was another one, sperm whales. You know, there, there was the full gamut, basically. But right. I engaged in, in you know, friendly conversation back and forth with these people and showed them images of, you know, typical images of things such as prop damage and 
things of that nature. And, you know, when discussed back and forth, nobody, you know, could really give evidence to back up their theory. They were just sort of saying, oh, it was this, oh, it was that. And then when they were forced to look at what really would be the case, you know, their, their points kind of fell flat. And then the general consensus was that, you know, nobody kind of really knew what it was. They were just willing to just make an assumption at this point it was something. And the usual suspects, the list of what possibilities out there kind of fell flat. So you're left with a situation right. where if it's not any of these, then, then what am I looking at, basically? Yeah, and the uh, the blog on your website, on the Kronos Rising website, you did a really good job of putting um, pictures on there. I'm looking at the one right now that says boat propeller scars on Orca, and those do look extremely different than what is on the the one in the film. Those kind of well, you know, go like, I mean, it's not even close to the type of markings seen in the other the other one. No, you you when, when you've seen enough images of. of boat strikes on cetaceans and whale sharks and things like that, I mean, you, you just kind of can tell right away, uh, especially a ship strike. I mean, ship propellers are enormous, 10, 12, 15, 20 feet across. And wounds from them, the, the animal could be decapitated or something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, an orca would never survive a, a, an impact with a, a prop from a ship, let's say. But from a... Right. A fishing boat, a pleasure boat, something like that is different. And that's more like the long lines of what you see in the image there. You know, something two feet across, maybe three feet at most, something like that. And a uh, propeller, when it does damage like that, is very telling. It's, um, it, it, think of it like this. The, the prop thing, we, we should get that out of the way right away, in fact. Um, a propeller is basically like a fan, Okay, like a fan you would see, like a circular fan you'd have sitting on your desk or something. It spins at high speed, has these big metal blades that you know, sh shear through the water and provide thrust. Those blades are relatively sharp, and they're moving at a very, very high rotational speed. So when a, a cetacean or a whale shark or something has the misfortune to be impacted on by a propeller, it's basically like a buzzsaw that shears through it at a super high rate. So if the propeller, if the boat runs over it, it goes, da, 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 da. you got to think of it like a fan hitting cheese. Okay, it's going to go chop, 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 and it leaves these symmetrical marks. Now, the marks are usually somewhat uniform in depth because they're going to cut through the animal relentlessly. I mean, it's like a weapon, effectively. Right. And you see this telltale pattern of chops or slices or even a corkscrew pattern that shears through meat and even bone sometimes. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, thankfully, a lot of whales have blubber, so they get a little bit of protection. But it's a very telltale appearance, prop marks. And, I mean, thank God, knock on plastic wood. I mean, uh, hitting my head right here. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you, you know, I've never had the misfortune, you know, of, of – doing that to an animal myself. Um, I know people that right. have. I, I had a guide in Florida run over an alligator one time that just popped up in front of us. But it, there's no mistaking a prop mark. You could never mistake this damage to, you know, as a propeller. It just it didn't – it's impossible. Right. I can tell – I mean, I, I don't know much about um, markings, but I can tell it's totally different than, than the creature in the film – 
Now, let me ask you this, Max, before we get too much further, because, um, you know, a lot of people are going to be wondering, hey, Max, did you get any experts to look at what you believe you found? And if you did, what did they have to say? Well, um, as a matter of fact, I did. I, uh, after I wrote the whole article that was published on my blog, I sent a link of it to uh, – I'm not going to throw his name out there because a lot of professional people feel uncomfortable in discussing mm-hmm. cryptozoological sightings. Right. Time. But I sent it to a marine biologist that I know, um, and he is one of the tops in his field. The guy is world famous. Uh, he spends enough time in the water he should have gills, okay? Uh, he swims with sharks and whales and things of that nature. I mean, this man has done ultrasound pregnancy tests on live pregnant whale sharks the size of a bus, literally the size of a bus, swimming with them, okay? Um, so wow. he's seen it all, okay? And he was very excited about the, the stuff I sent him. And when I asked him his opinion, he said that basically his tendency was to assume that it was interspecies aggression from another orca. You know, that it's that knee-jerk reaction, your kind of go-to thing. But he added, and this is a direct quote, um, he said, I've never seen pictures of wounds like this, though. And he added, I'd suspect Norwegian waters would be a bit cold for large predatory marine reptiles, but hey, I guess leatherback turtles get up there. And so for him to say something like that was very telling because you have mm-hmm. somebody that's seen you know, killer whale bites, shark bites, you know, bites from everything under the sun. I mean, he was telling me about how they'd studied sperm whales actually creeping up on and feeding on mako sharks even. So, which, of course, is astonishing that a, a slow-moving sperm whale could catch a mako that could swim at 60 miles an hour. But the point is, is that for him to say he's never seen wounds like this, you know, is he knows what a ship's prop look like looks like a boat propeller right. damage. He knows what nets do to animals, things like that. See, so it's like very telling that an expert like that could be a little befuddled by you know marks like that. Um, it was also interesting though because you know his point about it being a bit cold off of Norway for a, a predatory marine reptile is that he's not a paleontologist though, and it's a known fact that's been released a couple of years ago now that. Both plesiosaurs and mosasaurs had body temperatures that were as high or higher than cetaceans, which are usually around human temps, 98 plus degrees. I think they actually rated them at mosasaurs at avian levels, which was 99 plus. So these animals, they had blubber, as we know now. You know, they were, had a, they had a high body temperature. Hunting in cold water was not a problem for them. And the coast of Norway is a very predator-rich environment. Wow. So now when, when you were watching the film, what what made you first realize that the orca was in really bad shape and that it had a- actually been attacked by something? Well, the first thing you notice is the bite marks, and those are very telling. Once again, we're dealing with a killer whale. This is the sea's, supposedly the sea's apex predator a pack hunter, organized, intelligent, fast, incredibly powerful. Uh, I mean, this is not an animal you want to be in the water with if it decides it doesn't like you. But there is more to it than that. Yeah, I mean, uh, if if Orgus suddenly decided that people were on the menu, 
you'd have a big problem with beaches and surfing and everything else under mm. the sun. But uh, you can also tell about the animal I noticed that, that stood out to me, the way it swims. It, it moves, like it, it looks weak or sickly compared to other orcas. You know, it's just kind of like, like, oh, I'm tired. I, I don't feel good. You know, it just doesn't seem healthy. And then you can also see, though, that the animal itself is also very malnourished. It's not just beat up. I mean, if you look at it and compare it to a healthy orca, its stomach is concave. And it's got what the marine, biolog so marine biologists call a peanut head. And that sounds funny, but a peanut head, when referring to killer whales, is usually indicative of a whale that is starving. They see it a lot off the Pacific Northwest when salmon stocks crash and such. The whale starts to lose a tremendous amount of body fat. The, its melon shrinks so that its, its, let's say, muzzle looks more traditional dolphin-like, you know, longer and thinner. And then the, the stores of fat on the back of its head shrink down too, so its head from the side starts to look almost like a peanut. And you can see this in the animal when you see it swimming past. Then you couple that with the, the state of its wounds, and you see this animal is not only hurt, but it's unable to eat. I mean, I, I would guess that, you know, if it was just wounded, it'd be a little hard to say how long that attack took place, let's say. You know, you could say days or a week or whatever. But based on its condition, I would say the, the attack probably took place several weeks earlier. Uh, the worker might have suffered internal injuries, you know, damage to its body that won't let it eat. Or mm. it may have contracted something from being bitten. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people know that Mosasaurus, for example, and we're exploring the possibility that we're dealing with the Mosasaur here, but uh, Mosasaurus are basically marine monitor lizards. And you have lizards like the Komodo dragon, for example, that are now proven to be venomous. They used to think it was just bacteria in the slobber, but it's actual venom. Um, a reader, one of my readers, um, Willis Bayer, he suggested that the orca might have been affected by rotting teeth that were between the teeth of its attacker. So it could have contracted sepsis or something. Uh, you know, this is a very sick, hurt whale. It may be dead already, to be perfectly honest. Wow. Well, yeah, and you mentioned, you know, that it looked like it was swimming kind of unusually. Um, compared to a healthy one, and you do pick up that impression once you watch it a few times. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure a lot of listeners and readers of the blog want to know, and that's, did you jump to Mosasaur as a possible candidate right away, or, or what were some of the other things that you, in your um, analysis, were able to, to deduce from what could be causing this? Well, you don't want to make an assumption like that. I mean, obviously, I write marine terror novels, science fiction about giant prehistoric creatures from the past being alive in today's ocean and what. And, you know, people might think, oh, he's just looking to do self-promotion or things like that. But this is a, a real considered opinion that I, I've really looked at and spent time on here. Um, I considered all the usual suspects propellers, which we already discussed at length, um, a net. I mean, let's look at nets, for example. Uh, if you see an animal that's been trapped in a net and it suffers damage, let's just put footage out there of a sperm whale that had mesh actually embedded in its head. 
the, the net leaves ligature marks, you know, signature damage that you can tell from that type of thing, or even gets embedded in the flesh. You know, this is not that type of situation. You've got wounds in multiple locations from different angles with individual tooth marks that show. So unless somebody has a special net out there with teeth embedded in it that are set to spread out and do certain, you know, things or something like that, it's definitely not, not a net. Um, when I started doing measurements of the bite, and when I say measurements, I took the estimated length of the female orca, which is an average of 20 feet for it. And also, you can use for reference the dorsal fin. Uh, cow orca's dorsal is typically three feet high. You could start seeing how these measurements work and how wide, let's say, the bite span was. The, uh, the jaws, for example, that hit the whale in the dorsal region were about a yard across. So you're talking about a big animal. Now, it's possible that a huge, huge orca... I mean, like maximum size would have a bite gape like that, but the shape is not shaped like an orgus bite. It has a wedge, long wedge shape to it, much longer than a killer whale could possibly be. Um, I actually spoke to uh, Scott Martis, who's uh, an affiliate of uh, your, you guys and all that, and at his suggestion, I actually uh, took out an image, uh, images of skulls of Moses words, found one where I got a nice... You know, lateral shot. Um, it was a prognathodon, to be exact. And I compared it to the bite on the flank. And I didn't even have to mess around with it in size or anything like that. Once I got it to approximately the size that I figured, the teeth fit perfectly. Uh, Scott went a step further. He sent me a paper that was put out by paleontologist Mike Everhart. And in that paper, you have an example of a mosasaur uh, the skull of a, a mosasaur, an extinct mosasaur, obviously, that was killed by a skull bite from a larger mosasaur. And yeah. on that skull, you can see both two punctures and gouge marks. And keeping in mind, obviously, a skull bite to an animal with a somewhat leaner head like a, a mosasaur versus a bite to a wider, more curved and blubber-coated body like a an orca, obviously, the, where the teeth place are going to be different. But the point is, is though the punctures and the drag marks, the gouges, are incredibly similar, incredibly. Um, so, you know, you, you're dealing with, uh, uh, well, this is a big animal. I mean, like I said, the bite on the dorsal is yard wide. Like, if we're looking at the usual suspects, let's start with the sperm whale. Sperm whale is ruled out automatically. I mean, I saw... In Hawaii, firsthand, the skeleton, full skeleton of a 50-foot sperm whale that had beached there, and the mandible was only about a foot thick, which is you know, depressingly slim, to be honest. Uh, you know, images I've seen, I would say that a sperm whale's jaw probably doesn't get thicker at the maximum size than 18 inches, maybe 20 at most. You know, you're not going to get a sperm whale with a mandible three feet across. And that's just the tooth placement, mind you. The actual jaw would have been bigger than that, see? And, of course, there, a sperm whale's lower jaw is completely parallel across its length of the teeth. This thing, once again, like I said, was a wedge shape. So if you're looking at smaller cetaceans, including orcas, they have teeth that are much closer together. So, I mean, you can't, you have to rule out things like a pilot whale, false killer whale, which, of course, is never going to go anywhere near an orca, and they would have had to have been three times their normal size. The teeth are too close together. I mean, what boils down to is 
not to ramble, but the, the, the bite marks are more like that of a crocodile. And you have like Morse code, you know, dot, 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 mm-hmm. you know, something that is yeah. interlocking teeth. Okay. Now, I'm not 100% convinced it's a Mosasaur, but it does fit the bill for something with a long reptilian head and jaws filled like teeth at that. I mean, when all said and done, it's a good fit. And if I'm going by the skull that I placed over the bite mark, a perfect fit. Yeah, and so what you're saying is, you know, some people might be thinking, well, what about um, a very large shark? Or, you know, some people even think that perhaps the uh, the megalodon are still um, in existence. So why could it not have been a, a very, very large shark? Okay, well, <clears throat> let's let's consider the actual shape of the bites. Um, the bites on the orca are long and wedge-shaped. The shark, a shark's bite is oval in shape, almost like Pac-Man. You know, they, they bite, they pull back, they take out a shear out a nice chunk. So there's no telltale oval shape from a shark, and there's no flesh excised. You know, nothing mm-hmm. took a bite out of the orca. Remember, once again, we're talking about a female killer whale probably 20 or more feet long. Uh, she may have been the matriarch, to be honest. Three, four tons. You know, this is a large predator. And whatever attacked it had to really, its head had, its jaws had just been spread really wide to get a grip on that orca. Whatever bit the whale had teeth that were designed to pierce and hold, you know, like, boom, I've got you. And it would then shake and rip at its prey to not only kill it, but also to tear out chunks. So mm-hmm. the, the, the damage to the orca's flank, I mean, I, I calculated it because that same bite goes from the flank and also encompasses that right pectoral fin that got bitten in half. So the flank damage indicates a head that's far longer than any killer whales, for example, probably eight feet in length, and teeth that were straighter than an orca. They were also more widely separated. You don't see the usual comb-like rakes from orca bites, so we can eliminate a killer whale as well as a shark. Neither of those is a match. They're contraindicated. Yeah. So if it had been a shark, odds are the damage would have been way way, uh, more intense, or the, the orca may not even survived it, having chunks of its flesh ripped off. Well, we we did a show. I, I was on one of your shows before we were talking about if Megalodon was still alive and what. And like I said, I've seen firsthand images taken underwater of, for example, a 40-foot whale shark that had a relatively recent bite, probably in the last few months, maybe six months at most. And that bite is a solid four feet across. So it is very likely that there is a huge macro predatory shark out there that can re- exceed 30 and possibly get as much as 40 feet in length. However, if you looked at that bite and you compared it to the orca once again, you would see the same thing. You see this oval shape and also that whale shark I just mentioned has individual tooth marks visible on it and they're triangular. You know, you get these gouging triangles that dip in. It really looks like a gigantic white shark bit that whale. I mean, whale shark, I'm sorry. But the... Uh, if the orca was hit by a shark that size, the shark probably would have been able to actually take out a big enough bite. It would have killed the killer whale. 
that's assuming that it survived the course a conflict with the rest of them. Um, and most likely, honestly, I, I really believe that orcas, when they have the chance, plague or even kill very, very large sharks like that. But anyway, I'm digressing. But it was definitely not a shark, unless you have a shark out there that has a head like a crocodile, which sounds like something from a sci-fi channel movie or something. Right, right. We don't want to um, go there. Yeah, that's definitely down the rabbit hole there. Um, well, you know, some people are probably thinking, well, we're, you know, you say maybe it was a mosasaur, but are there any historical accounts um, that they they may still exist? I mean, you're not just drawing that out of a hat. There's got to be a reason why you think that there there may be um, some type of evidence, no matter what it is, that has been reported before of sightings of a mosasaur or a mosasaur-type creature. Uh, can you tell us about some of those? Um, actually, I have extensive files, and I'm not going to go through all of them because we'd be here all day, but um, let me give you a few in chronological order. That'll make, them, I think, the most sense. Um, 1852, an infamous incident with the whaler Monongahela. According to the ship's log, and a letter that was sent out from the ship, which, by the way, the ship actually sank strangely before it got back to port. But the uh, captain's log that was mailed out had indicated that they harpooned what they initially thought was a whale. turned out to be a, quote, sea serpent. They killed it. They dismembered it. They processed it like they would a whale to try and make blubber out of I mean, uh, oil, I'm sorry, out of its blubber. And their description is of a mosasaur-like creature measured exactly, their statistics were impressive, 103 feet long with four flippers. Besides its full dimensions, they described it as having blubber four inches thick and also a caudal fin. And these are facts that we know only now, I mean in the last decade or less, this evidence has come to light. So if somebody had concocted a tale about this whole thing and then decided to sink the ship to conceal evidence, they supposedly had kept its head in a box on board. The head was 15 feet long, yeah. just for the record. But uh, you know, nobody back then knew about blubber in, in these animals. They described the color, how the oil looked when they boiled it down, and nobody knew that they had a caudal fin like, like a, a shark does. See, So it's a very believable encounter. Fast forward to 1915. Yeah. You've got the infamous U-28 incident, a U-boat, World War I, torpedoes and sinks the British steamer Iberian. The ship sinks from sight. Its munitions detonate. Boom. A massive explosion comes up in the water as the captain, a few other people watch from the conning tower. And a 60-foot marine animal is thrown by the force of the explosion 100 feet into the air, crashes back down, and sinks from sight. They describe it as a, being like a huge crocodile but with webbed feet. This, once again, sounds like a mosasaur. And I will oh, put this yeah. out there. The animal was undoubtedly and horrifically feeding on drowned seamen, S-E-A-M-E-N, sailors that were, you know, emer emerging from the you know, from the drifting off the ship as it sunk, or floating around in the water, or sinking as they drowned, etc. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if creatures like that during times of warfare got used to explosions like that as almost like a din dinner bell being rung. Um, wow. Anyway, 1915, 1971. The crew of the fishing vessel Compira Maru spots a large crocodile creature with fins off of Little Town. That's in New Zealand. 1972, 
a year later. Three women fishing the mouth of the Rari River in Tamuka see a dark gray, 16-foot lizard-like creature in the shallows that, I guess, threatens them, opens its mouth, showing a lot of small, sharp teeth. 1983, a woman in a small raft off the coast of Picton spots an orca-sized creature described as a mosasaur circling her raft. And when its head breaks the surface of the water a few times, she sees some very nasty teeth. 1990, Taupo, two young women sand sunbathing by a lagoon, see a 15-foot green, quote, marine lizard swimming in the shallows. It erupts from the water at one point, trying to snatch a low-flying bird. Sound like a mosasaur? Does to me. That takes off into the depths. Keep going. 1993, three years later, same location. Earl Rigney of Canterbury spots what he describes as a colossal 30-foot crocodile-like creature breaching the water. He sees it through his telescope. At first, he thought it was a whale. Summer of 2001, a group of teenagers who are boogie boarding in Pekakariki, if I can say that right, are terrified by a gigantic animal that breaches right in front of them. They describe it perfectly as being a mosasaur. 2006, a man named Ian Levy has his boat attacked for an hour straight by what he describes as a pair of 20-foot crocodiles with fins. He returns home with a totaled boat. Some people say, oh, he was just doing it for the insurance money, but he didn't have insurance. So that made no sense. Ah, And last but not least, my personal favorite, in 2014, a man named Paul, who was a U.K. resident that I interviewed for hours on end, who saw what was christened the Carnival Cruise Monster, saw what sounds like a gigantic mosasaur swimming alongside his ship. And before we, you know, decided to schedule this, I spoke to Paul at length about the orca, had him view the footage and what. He thought it was very interesting, but he said point blank that what he saw could have swallowed that orca whole. He said, so if it was the same species, it would have definitely been a much smaller animal, a juvenile or something to that effect. So, I mean, there, and this is just a, a fraction of the sightings that people have had of, of things like this. Are they all crazy? Are they all making these things up? I mean, there's something's got to be out there that's scaring and all these people. Right, and, and that's just the witnesses that are here to tell about it, you know. Oh, yeah, a lot of people will not want to because of fear of ridicule and what. Right, I, of right. course, have no such compunctions. <laughs> so taking all that into consideration, um, and let's just say, let, let's just say, for example, if if they are correct and there is mm-hmm. a, a mosasaur or a mosasaur-type creature out there, uh, it has Probably to a be breeding. Crocodile. I'm sorry. It has to be what? Yeah, it has to be breeding. Um, do you think there's enough food for them? And why haven't we seen one before? I mean, why nobody's washing ashore? Well, I, I've heard the same argument when it comes to, like, a, a giant shark still being out there. You know, people will say, oh, there's there's not enough food out there for a creature like that to survive. Wah. And I'm like, <laughs> Really? Do you know how big the oceans are? Do you know how much of a volume of water we're talking about here? I mean, anybody who says that is full of shiitake mushrooms. You like that one? (laughs) My daughter uses it. Instead of saying a bad (laughs) word, you're full of shiitake mushrooms. So anyway, the point is, is that let's look at sperm whales, okay? 
as a potential food source for a mega shark or an enormous mosasaur. There are over 200,000 sperm whales alone out there. And while we're on the subject, sperm whales themselves are predators. And these 200,000 sperm whales seem to be getting by okay eating sharks and squid and octopuses and everything else out there. Okay? There are 1.2 million pilot whales out there. And a pilot whale, in my opinion, would be a perfect size meal for a large mosasaur or something of its nature. Okay? It makes you wonder, in that area, by the way, you occasionally get a lot of pilot whale strandings. Could be something is chasing these animals, and they'd rather beach themselves than end up dinner. Okay? Uh-huh. And then let's look at yeah, dolphins. There are untold millions of dolphins. I mean, the total number has got to be in the tens of millions. I know in, in the Pacific alone, I, I think there's over 3 million bottlenose. Okay? And then we're not even counting large fish like tuna and billfish. Okay? The point is, is there's plenty to eat. Okay? So food-wise, you've got a lot. Okay? And it's a buffet. So what was it? Oh, why haven't we seen one before? Um, well, let's why, think why, about Where's that. the body? I'll be the okay, devil's well, advocate. Where's the body, Max? It's in my yard. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't send anybody to my house. Anyway, a mo- from a distance, <laughs> let's think about this, all right? A mosasaur is a marine animal. It is adapted to a marine environment, okay? It also by size and even profile from a distance just at the surface, would undoubtedly appear as a cetacean. I mean, what are you going to see? A little bit of its back, a little bit of the, the, the crown of the head, that type of thing? You know, it's not going to really stand out for you as anything unusual. It would also, in my opinion, and being a predator, which tends to be a little more cautious, it would probably sound, you know, dive all in, into the depths or something before a big noisy ship came up on it. So it's not like it's going to sit around and, you know, say, here I am. I mean, the, these women in this isolated lagoon, for example, you know, you're dealing with a juvenile, which is probably less cautious by nature. I mean, in an, an environment like that on some island, it's, it's much more likely that the animal is going to be a little more brazen, let's say. Um, and as to finding a body, well, let's look at that. I mean, plesiosaurs and crocodiles both consume gastroliths. These are stomach stones. The animals actually swallow rocks that stay in their gut. And they do this to offset buoyancy. When you have a lung full of air, yeah, when you have a lung full of air, it is very hard to dive, to sink, to submerge. And you think about it yourself. If you're in a pool and you take a deep, deep breath and you hold your breath, you're not going to sink. Okay? The sinking comes when you, you know, in between breaths and the flailing and things like that. So a crocodile, when a big game hunter shoots a crocodile, they have to get the carcass immediately because it sinks to the bottom. So if mosasaurs, and they probably do, consumed stomach stones, had gastroliths also, the same thing most likely would happen. The body sinks to the bottom and scavengers do the rest. You know, and the big animals are undoubtedly open sea predators. They're not coming ashore to lay eggs. We know they give birth to live young. They don't breed in the shallows like some shark species used to do and things of that nature. You know, it's, it's, that's just the way it is. And 
I'll take it a step further. We could argue the point of, but they're so big, et cetera. Nobody's seen one. We don't have a body, all that. Even without the stomach stones. Let's look at whales, okay? In 2003, a 33-foot species of baleen whale called a Moore's whale was discovered, okay? And in 2014, a new species of beaked whale was discovered because its body washed ashore in Alaska, okay? Both of these animals are air breathers. Both of them float when they're dead, okay? Where have they been all this time? Why has nobody seen one before? I mean, there's got to be hundreds of thousands of them most likely out there breeding, okay? At least tens of thousands. So why are their bodies not being discovered floating on the surface before they're eaten by sharks and things like that? Why are they not drifting ashore? Only that one in Alaska actually washed ashore. And this, you know, so we're, we're talking about an animal that sinks after it dies. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if an so air-breathing animal... Uh, for people who, you know, there are, you know, tons of skeptics, and that's great to be a skeptic. I mean, that's how we all um, learn, and that's how we strive to produce evidence of um, things that we believe may still exist. You have done your, your homework on this. Um, you didn't just look at the marks and go, wow, that kind of looks like something a mosasaur would have left... You did a lot of digging into this. You, you're very knowledgeable on, um, you know, what type of marks are left by, say, the boat propellers and that sort of thing. So you, you've done your homework on that. And, well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, thank you. I mean, I had, had to do a little extra for this, to be honest. But... I mean, the sea is my uh, my forte. Let's say. I mean, uh, I'm I'm not a professional angler, but I fish passionately. I've been on the water thousands of times. I've been all over the place. I've seen a lot of stuff, and I have a lot of knowledge of these things. Not to mention the fact that I write books about sea monsters, right. quote, for a living. So there's a lot of research involved that comes in her into it as well. I mean, if you're creating ultra-realism like I do for readers, you want to know your stuff, okay? But, you know, that old argument about that people always say, where's the body? Why haven't we seen one? You know, oh, it's an air breather. Well, I got two new species of whale. These are big animals, okay? They breathe air, and they float when they're dead, okay? Nobody saw one by their boat, you know, swimming by from a drone or anything else like that. They haven't been identified until recently. And one was only identified because of a body. So nobody saw it or knew about it prior to that. And that's only four years ago. Okay. If you had a secretive predator that is, you know, it doesn't like to be approached. I mean, if you ever try to approach a shark in the shallows, the shark doesn't stand there and say, hey, let me look at you. You know, unless it's looking at stalking you, right. it runs the other way. So you're, you're, you're dealing with an animal, and it, like I said, if it, if it sinks when it's dead, you know, it's literally, it's going right to the bottom, and it's going to get scavenged. And that's uh, the bones and everything else like that. I mean, until we get to the point where we can really start exploring vast swaths of the ocean floor, that's the only time I think that we're going to find physical evidence not just fossil evidence of things we never knew about, obviously, but maybe most more recently, more recent deposits of things that have died in the last five, ten, a hundred years. You know, it will be a very exciting time because, believe me, you're going to find sea monsters out there you never imagined. Yeah, because not not even a whole six percent of our, our oceans have been explored, right? It's up to about maybe six percent now. 
last I heard was 5%. If it's up to 6 I'll be impressed. But the, and that's just sections of the bottom, I would imagine, the close bottom, to yeah. shore. Yeah. You've got I mean, that's so, not a whole lot. You know? There's really a lot of real estate out there. And then, of course, you've got to think vertically as well. You know, the animals are living in the water column. I mean, that, that 5% does not include the average depth of 12,000 feet that the oceans have. So wow. yeah. it's, it's huh. an uncharted playground. Well, you know, one thing I was thinking, um, looking at the film of that creature and the, the, where the markings are and the one flipper being gone, um, Max, tell me in your own words, and you are a very creative writer. We all know that. So and you can make this as dramatic as you want it to be, but you know, based on what you have seen and what we see in the footage, what do you think went down with the, the attack on this killer whale? I mean, what's your tell us the theory, the the final theory of what you think happened, and what attacked it? Well, if I'm going on the quote forensic evidence, um, you got to take a, you know the, the players into account. The first thing is is that the female orca, the cow orca, we'll call her was not alone. Um, if you look in the video, you'll see underneath her and kind of escorting her um, is a very large bull orca, uh, so, which makes me, of course, suspect that she may have been the matriarch of the pod. And he's swimming along. You can see he's very well fed, so it's not like there, there's a lack of food in that area. And, in fact, there's a huge humpback whale that they passed. But anyway, um, so she has protection, Okay, and whale orcas don't travel just in mated pairs. So there was undoubtedly a pod. So she must have been part of a pod, or is, and they only showed two of them in the footage. Um, Once again, the attack, from what I was told by the uh, the page, took place off Norway. And if you look up Norway orcas, you'll see they traditionally eat a lot of herring and seals. So they're predators, obviously. Um, Whatever attacked the cow. Orca, the cow, we'll call her. I suspect she was targeted first off because of her size. You know, if she's 20 feet long, is a much more inviting target than, let's say, a 25 or 30 foot bull that would be much more formidable. She may have been on the outside of the pod or straight off a little bit where she could have been targeted. Um, judging from the bites, and there are multiple ones, I don't think a lot of time would have passed once the attack started before the rest of the pod came to her aid. So I suspect that she was probably hit by two of whatever attacked her, Mosasaur or whatever else. She was probably struck by two attackers at or close to the same time. One of them, and it's impossible, honestly, to say which one came first, but one came at her from the left and on a downward angle, um, from above slightly, it slammed into her and it grabbed her effectively by the nape. Okay, it, it bit urgh, like that, and then it bit again. You can actually see there's two rows of the teeth where the first bite went like chomped down, and then it bit a second time. So it's kind of like your dog. If your dog is tugging at something, it's like and, he goes, and it adjusts his grip. So whatever struck her bit down and then bit a second time, and I believe there was some shaking going on because you can see some rips to the sides of the teeth marks there. So I think it bit down, adjusted its grip, 
and then it started trying to shake her. Maybe it thought it was going to snap her neck or you know, kill her by dislocating a lot of vertebrae. I mean, whatever it might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, the second attack came from the right and on, a, on an angle. And this one, I don't want to say it went for the throat. It was further back. And you notice both of these, the bites are not aimed at the orca's head. Orcas have very powerful jaws and sharp teeth. So whatever hit her was trying to avoid her jaws and grab her in a spot where she could not bite back. So the other attacker coming in from the right, at bite, it actually hits. And then as the struggle commences, it slips. You can actually see the gouge marks as the teeth start to tear loose in the blubber. Okay? And this is caused by both the girth of the whale, you know, its target, because it's a bulky animal that's trying to get its jaws around, and the struggle. The attacker's jaws slip, and it ends up with the pectoral fin in its mouth. And there are many tooth marks on the pectoral fin that line up, and they're very deep. Okay? At this point, the cow, of course, if the orcas, the rest of its pod, did not know what was going on, of course, it would have squealed for help. You know, echolocation clicks, etc. It's called a coda. And the other members of the pod would have immediately come to her rescue. So the, she's fighting for her life, trying to break free. This predator, whether she shrugged off the first one that was on her nape, let's say, or not, but during the course, her fin is bitten clean through, comes off in the struggle, and she starts to power away from that attacker. That most likely, that same attacker, okay, makes a last attempt, snaps at her one last time at her underside. And you can see there's a third bite underneath her, near her vent, in front of the flukes, okay, near the vent area. And you can see where the teeth, it's, once again, it's a wedge-shaped imprint, but this is more like the actual tip of the snout of the attacker. Um, it's a little narrower than the bite on the dorsal region. And you can see individual tooth punctures and then gouge marks that are kind of like dragged. And this bite indicates that the whale was pulling away. She was powering away with her flukes, you know, flailing to escape it. And the, the, uh, the bite didn't really get in good and kind of slipped out. At this point now, you can assume that it's an all-out brawl. You might have eight or even ten orcas have joined in the fight, have, you know, bitten into whatever was holding on to her, her nape area or the one that, that you know, was just dislodged, et cetera. You know, it, it's a general melee, okay? And most likely if we're dealing with just a pair of mosasaurs, and for the record, there have been, atta- I'm sorry, attacks, sightings in the past where two of these things were sighted together. So assuming it was just a pair, the mosasaurs are now outnumbered, or mosasaur-like creatures, I'm sorry, outnumbered and this is not like something they want, a game they want to play anymore. They're driven off. Okay. However, yeah, I, I, the, the cow is hurt. So let's keep this in mind. Okay. Um, there was a, uh, you know, a, a stranding of a finback whale in 2012 in the UK that I had, you know, explored. And it looked like it had a, a series of jaw, you know, tooth-like jaw-shaped punctures in its lower jaw. Okay. And they said, oh, it was damaged from rolling in the surf and all this stuff. I saw the video. There didn't seem to be anything in the surf where the whale was that could have caused this U-shaped kind of series of punctures, but whatever. But the point is that finback whale was also very malnourished, okay? So it is possible that these creatures, that their bite causes sepsis, has some sort of venom, something to that effect, where eventually the thing that if they fail on a strike, 
what they bit, just like a buffalo on Komodo Island, eventually succumbs and they track down the body and they tear it to pieces. You know, so like yeah, I said, I mean, she may, she may, she may be dead already. You know, and obviously orcas, when when one of their number dies, they're gonna stay with it, the the body for a while. I mean, you saw that poor female that carried mm-hmm. her baby around for weeks. Okay, but at the end of the day, eventually they're going to have to give off, give the field. Okay, right. and these things, if that's how they make a living with larger prey, they're gonna come in and they're gonna feed. So, I mean, that's that's how I picture it. Now, it doesn't mean it happened in that order. You know, the, the chest strike could have been first, and then the dorsal strike, the other whales jumped in, you know, she broke free, that last nip on the underside, you know, and then, like I said, a big brawl. But, you know, it was something to that effect, in my humble opinion. Okay? Now, I mean, mm. this is all well, obviously yeah, just conjecture. But because we know that orcas do come to the aid of... of you know, if one's being attacked, that's that's been documented and proven. Yeah, most so, animals will never attack a killer whale if there's other workers in the area because of the simple fact that they know what's going to happen. You know, when white sharks encounter an orca, they generally just run away. And when one of their number gets killed, this is also documented, every white shark in the area will dive to a tremendous depth beyond the reach that an orca can go. And travel sometimes thousands of miles. So these are not animals that most creatures are going to mess with. See, mm, so it wouldn't surprise you that, yeah, that there's something out there we don't know about that is either an extinct animal like a mosasaur that doesn't know it's dead yet, it never got the email or something like that, uh-huh. you know, some sort of, yeah, a small relic population of these creatures. But it's interesting how there's been so many sightings in the last in even in the last few decades, let's say, you know, I mean, mosasaurs, if we're using them as an example, once were, I mean, they were everywhere. What's the term? Cosmopolitan? I mean, they, they, they had a worldwide distribution. And if they are what we're looking at and their population was all but annihilated when the dinosaurs bought it, I'm sorry, the non-avian dinosaurs, you know, with the KT impact, et cetera. So if their numbers were so drastically reduced, I mean, it makes sense. They may gradually be increasing in number. And they're facing competition, obviously, from cetaceans, especially the killer whale. I mean, these would be arch enemies, effectively. Well, yeah, definitely. would. <laughs> I could see the point there. Now, let's say, for example... If if these the the creature that you're describing that attacked this killer whale, mm-hmm. if it is proven someday to exist uh, or something similar to that, um, what do you think we should do? Should we protect it like we do other uh, creatures and that are uh, you know rare? What do you think should be done with them if we can prove they exist? Well, I think the first thing, I mean, if that man was telling the truth that two 20-foot animals, like, and once again, oh, it was a pair, okay, I should point that out, but that attacked his boat and, and, and stuff, you know, they, they either were attacking him out of territory or more likely they wanted him off the boat. So if that story is true, and these are only 20-foot animals, you don't want to be in the water with this thing if you can avoid it. It's not like an orca where it's smart enough to know that men are dangerous, that they've seen whaling, they know what we're capable of, et cetera. You know, you're, you're just a snack, okay? But, I mean, 
if a creature like this exists, and I think that this this video, this ad, this orca is kind of like almost like a smoking gun, but it needs to be proven. It needs to be documented. Okay, I mean, like the Monongahela, the ship that went down, the whaler. Their report said that they had the head of this thing in a big pine box. They were bringing it back. And then it, the ship was sunk. And this is documented. It was sunk. So they know the general vicinity where it went down. Okay. If, I mean, shipwrecks are being found more and more all the time. But, you know, as they say, they're, they're checking off the numbers of famous shipwrecks and stuff. Because the technology is improving more and more that we can map the areas, see the bottom, and find them. So if they can find the wreck of the Monongahela, it is quite possible that this thing's skull if it would survive that long in salt water, I mean, we're talking 170 years almost, but if the skull's still in there, then you've got some proof right there, and that would be a hell of a sighting. I mean, we've got drones now. The, the, the technology exists to really, you know, I think a, a concerted effort needs to be made to find out. I mean, can you imagine if they could capture one alive as a study specimen? I mean, it'd be like a scene yeah, from, that, from my book. Been- you know, punch a book, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, like like you'd have this thing in an aquarium, you know, it could jump up and snatch some poor guy off the thing like I had, you know. <laughs> God forbid. But the Will point you? is, so if an animal like this exists, okay, first thing is, obviously, it's like anything else in a cryptozoological nature like Sasquatch. It needs to be proven, okay? It needs to be studied, and if it's going to be studied, it needs to be studied safely because this, whatever did this, has no respect for the sea's apex predator. No. You see? And if they have uh, no respect for those, then, like you said, we're just a snack. Right. I mean, you know, you, you, this animal, these creatures, if if they exist, whatever it is, okay, mosasaur, marine croc, something completely unknown, but the odds are scuba divers have seen these things before coming at them with jaws wide open. You know, there's so many people that disappear each year underwater. Is it all shark attacks? Or is it something else? You know, when somebody is found, I mean, disappears and all they find is a flipper, you know, what does that mean? So, I, you know, you're yeah. dealing with a, a, a macro predator that if it is what, what it looks like has been around since the dinosaurs survived alongside them, you know, the most dangerous predators in the sea, and if, if you think about it, has survived alongside of all the megatooth sharks that have come and gone. I mean, that alone might explain why these creatures are, have gotten larger and larger. Well, that compared to the, the fact that they've been feeding on cetaceans. So, you know, if you're dealing with a mosasaur that can grow 100 or more feet long, which is the size of the Carnival Cruise Monster, you know, these things have gotten bigger and bigger over the last 65 million years. One of those reasons was probably competition with 30, 40, 50-foot sharks. Right. Only the largest specimens were able to survive and breed, and those genes get passed on. So, you know, I I think somebody needs to seriously consider making a concerted effort to try and find out once and for all what's going on. Are these things real? Are they not? You know, the public can handle it. Okay. You know, we're not children. You know, uh, I mean, well, no, but some governing bodies would not want that to be known that there was a quote sea monster out there. You know, I think fear of going in the water and being eaten would scare a lot of people out of the water, would hurt the economy. I mean, the, the coastal, you know, the beaches and everything else under the sun, hurt fishing, et cetera. You know, but if people knew that there was a race of 50, 70, 100-foot giant man-eating sea lizards out there, 
they're going to be a little less confident going into the water. But, you know, yeah, kind of like what the- you do to me every time we have a show. Um, <laughs> I find myself getting further and further inland. Um, I don't even go out past the first breaks anymore, Max, and it's all your fault. Mm, yeah, I've heard that. These guys from the bathing suit company were giving me a hard time. Oh, you're damaging swimsuit sales. <laughs> I'm like, just stop it. I don't want to hear it. Buy the book. Yeah. Be a review. Boom. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a really a, a great show, Max, and you, you did a really excellent job on your um, on your breakdown that you did. And uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. And I'll, no, I'm thank hoping you. to have you back again sometime here soon. Oh, that would be great, and it was my pleasure. I, I really enjoyed. You've got a great audience, a great bunch of people, and uh, the, 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 the pleasure was all mine. Well, thank you so much, Max. And um, let me remind people that Max is a book author of the award-winning series Kronos Rising, and of course, I own a copy of every book that Max has, has um, written and produced. And I'm telling you, what, if you like a good thriller. You definitely need to get yourself some of these Kronos Rising books. Look, Christmas is coming. Get yourself a gift. Get oh, wait, family can member I, can a I, gift. Can, can I slip you can in a read quick it, plug? Right? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, but, well, yeah, actually, for for the holiday season, um, uh, you know, Julie's right. I mean, giving somebody the gift of a, a book, for example, is a nice and relatively inexpensive um, present, in my opinion. But I think the uh, full size soft covers of the full-length novels are like $18, $19, something like that. Um, it makes a great gift, but if you want to reward yourself at the same time, uh, number one, you can buy, once you buy the soft cover through Amazon of one of the full-length novels, you can get the Kindle version for only $0.99, cents, which means that you can, actually, if you're a Kindle reader, you can give your brother or friend or cousin or whatever you know, a nice, big, beautiful book to read. You'll have the Kindle version for yourself, and until month's end, they're actually doing a nice promo where if you get one of the full-length novels and you email the proof of purchase um, to uh, the, the uh, producers, there's a contest where they're actually giving away a huge Megalodon shark tooth um, that's going to be raffled off at the end of the month. Um, if you need details on that, just go on Facebook on the Cronus Rising Novel Series page, and all the information is right there. Wow, that is really cool. Who wouldn't want one of those? Yeah, I think it's nice. You know, you get a, a present for a friend. You get a little, you know, a 99-cent Kindle version of yourself, which is normally like 8 or $9. And you have a chance to win a gorgeous, expensive fossil from a monster shark, too. That's right. And I'll tell you what, um, I definitely encourage you guys to get out there and check this out because you will not be sorry. It is a great read. Um, great imagination for Max, and he knows his stuff when he's talking about uh, some of these, these sea creatures. So, my wife would disagree again, with Max, you that I, I know thank what I'm talking you for about. Joining us, and <laughs> my uh, everybody for listening in, and you know, be sure to check out his uh, his website, The Cronus Rising. Take a look at his um, breakdown that he did on this the story here: the killer whale survives an attack from a living mosasaur. And while you're there. Check out some of his other previous blogs. There's there's a lot of good reading in there. And, of course, check out his books. So, uh, again, this is Julie Wrench for Monster X Radio, and we really appreciate you joining us. And stay tuned 
for another episode coming up in two weeks, a surprise guest for you. And thank you so much, and have a great holiday, everyone. If I don't talk with you beforehand, we appreciate your support.